Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, life coach Corey Three Wing Thorell takes on the problem with the context of healing and challenges us to own who we already are as perfect, exactly as we are, and that our path to bliss is our path to ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Thank you, Corey, three wing. Oh, magical mystery one that you are for one walking into my life almost a year ago and two being willing to spend some time with us here at Heal and be a part of this amazing project and, you know, sharing your insights and views and your own life, your own path, what it takes to heal, what you see healing is all about and what you can offer others to contribute to their journey. So it's an honor and a privilege to have you. Well, Sarah Marshall, it's a joy to be in your company every single time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So what shall we talk about? (laughs) Well, you you know, I've been thinking about this and I've been listening to some of your other episodes you sent, you know, like we've been talking and healing is something that I walk the life of this every moment Mm. of healing, you know, and it's a word. I want to start off by saying that the word heal, I've had a problem with most of my life. I have unbelievable sympathy and compassion and support for integrous conversations who are for people who are in their healing process. Absolutely. But there's a part of me, and it's a real simple part of my spirit that maybe goes back to divine consciousness about healing and the thought that what if we don't need to heal because we're perfect the way we are? You know, and I understand when we're broken. I have my own broken pieces that I'm healing on myself every day. But what gets me through a whole lot of that, and it gives me the courage and the stamina Mm -hmm. to go through the pains of healing, especially when you're stuck and maybe stuck for decades, is the belief that I'm perfect, that we're all perfect the way we are you know, that we come with the tools inside of ourselves, ready to go. And the the thing that I'm aware, especially as I'm in my 50s now, and I look back and I look at the people in my world and the people that I show up for, and I see that we're not taught how to access these very tools that are within us. We're taught to be afraid. Yeah. You know, which kind of goes against it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of where I'm starting in our conversation. Well, today. just, just your perfect whole and complete and there's nothing wrong with you and you're not actually broken. We'll just start there. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Well, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. And I, I've actually had that. I'm going to say concept has been offered to me a lot over the last decade of the, you know, performance coaching work I've been involved in and the transformational educational work I've been involved in. That's one of the foundational principles of where all of the transformative education starts from is the first principle is there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your life. There's nothing to fix. And that's still a pretty hard one for me to swallow. And, you know, in our preamble before we hit record that we were talking about today, you know, is like, for whatever reason, I just woke up raw today. Mm-hmm. And, and in all intents and purposes, my life is like on fire in a good way, you know, and launching this project I've been dreaming about for five years and getting incredibly rave reviews and like the excitement and the energy. And, you know, we're in a pandemic and there's a lot of economic strain and my business is, you know, like I have all these things to be grateful for and I am. And yet woke up this morning and there were just 
tears. Yes. Yes. And yes. Fear of vulnerability. And oh. I don't want the ugly parts to be seen. So I'm over here like, yes, Corey. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. We're perfect, whole, and complete. And then inside, I'm like, no, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I want to I want to say to that, you know, like when we have these kinds of conversations or when we're looking for help because we don't have an answer and be that with a doctor or advice or with a mentor or with any struggle is that it's important to show up with every part of us, every every bit of us. Sometimes uh, we can leave part of ourselves out of our conversation and maybe that's a pain, a painful piece or an embarrassing piece yeah. or something that hasn't quite worked out. You know, but as we show up with every bit of ourselves into our conversation, including the raw and prickly and bumpy and ugly parts, you know, I think it's important that we bring every bit of ourselves to the table. When those parts that don't ever get a voice, maybe we invite them to have a stronger voice than they usually get hidden in the yeah. dark, you know. And so as we ask for help, healing to me is an invitation to change. You know, it's, you know, and I think about healing with the influence of the word change, it's a whole lot more tangible than I'm broken forever or I'm sick or I'm, I've been, somebody else told me I'm going to die, mm -hmm. you know, or I have this terminal thing or a disease that's irreparable. And those things are amazing details, but they're not our identity. Mm. You know, those are, those are definitely things that are on our journey. There are obstacles on our path, but those things are not who we are at the root level. And I think it's so important to remember that our divine selves are not our diagnoses. Yeah. And I think we get confused in those two things all the time, especially with a terminal diagnosis, for example. And our culture pulls for it, you know, is like... I am a cancer patient versus mm -hmm. I have cancer. Exactly. Or even I don't have it. My body's dealing with cancer. I mean, there's like all these ways to up level the language and to, to create, not to distance ourselves because what I see a lot that happens in a lot of healing crises is where people have numbed out or they're disassociating and they're not dealing with what there is to deal with, but like actually is an empowering way of looking at it, you know, to mm -hmm. not identify so much with it. But yeah. it can become an experience that, like, this is who I am. Right. I think there were points in my life, too, where it was like, this is all I can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a kid, I had asthma, and my particular case was pretty severe. And so there was all these, like, in the 80s, they literally told kids with asthma not to run. Like, don't cause an asthma attack. But actually, turns out, regular exercise when you're not in the middle of the next of an asthma attack was actually really healing. But, you know, fortunately my parents allowed more of that. But I mean, there was like times where they were like, don't run, don't be a kid, don't play, don't be out in the grass, don't get exposed to animals, don't trigger, you know, don't trigger, don't trigger, don't trigger, don't trigger. And so like when I, you know, no wonder I'm like, I can do anything. Cause like, you know, as a kid, I was like, you tell me what to do. And I broke out of all of that, you know? <laughs> But it, that, that was the prescription. And it was meant mm -hmm. with the best of intentions in order to try oh, and keep me from having an asthma attack and prevent the, the lack of oxygen getting into my body. But it so went against the antithesis for a while. It was this like, I was living in this world of I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not able. I'm not able. And then there's stuff inside me 
that I still have as core stories that I've been working on, but that are in the world of like, I don't know if I'm big enough for that. I don't know if I'm capable of that. I don't know if I really have what it takes that probably come from those experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah, totally. You know, I mean, it, it brings to mind, like, how do we show up? How do we show up for ourselves in our own healing process, you know, or slash, how do we show up for, others in their healing process, be that a client or your parents or your child or the people that you're near you who are struggling with a healing journey, you know, like how do we show up to have that conversation? You know, I think, you know, it's often our first response of any kind of diagnosis of any kind, because we're using the word diagnosis yeah, is to stop with white knuckles and wring our hands and take a gasp and wonder what are we going to do now? You know, or we could just like maybe call, sit down and kind of have a little giggle and put, okay, well, what are we going to do now in a whole different light? Yeah. What do we get to do now? What are we being invited to do now? So you when know? you say like come to the table or show up for the conversation, it sounds amazing, but like, can you give us an on the, like, what does that actually, yeah. what would that look like in your life or in somebody's life? Well, in my own life, you know, like I've got a lot of things that I struggle with in this world. One, I've, I've had as a redhead, I've had skin issues my whole life. And I've been to doctors and looking for help and look at nutrition and all of these things. And I'm still looking for some of those answers. You know, 10 years ago, after a false HIV test that, that said I was negative, I was really positive. And I ended up with full-blown AIDS and not knowing it with all of this terrible, terrible, terrible situation. My health was falling apart in my hands, you know, and so vulnerable and terrified about this diagnosis. And what do you do? Well, you step into the hot seat and I'll start looking at where you are right now, how it feels, you know, where's your, what, where on the table is your fear factor and how is your fear factor inhibiting your ability to move forward? That's a pretty good place to start. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I can only imagine with, I mean, just even, even with all that we've done in the last, what is it now? 40 years around AIDS, just that word still holds so much fear, so much meaning, so much significance. All right. And at the time, you know, when the doctors told me I had full blown AIDS and I didn't even see it coming. Right. Did I dare tell my friends and family that I had full-blown AIDS? No, I didn't use those words. I can use them now in retrospect, looking backwards, because I'm standing here as a healthy man. But at the time, I was afraid of other people's fear, way more than my own journey into into my own path. I was afraid of the people around me and their limited beliefs or their limited knowledge around my situation, including my employers. Yeah. You know, like all of a sudden I have this thing that I need to tell people. I have to show up and tell the truth. You know. So how'd you do it? it? Well, before I decided to tell people what was really going on, I stepped into my solutions and started feeling my solutions before I started advertising where I was at. Mm. And that gave me the courage and the strength and the story available to tell those mm. who I knew would be freaked out way more than myself. Like my family, my mom, to make sure that she wasn't going to worry about me more than she always does, you yeah. know, which is such a message of love to be worried about. Thank you for that. 
but do I want to enhance that in a terrible way? No, I don't. Yeah. Do I want to coach that and massage that into the, the most divine message of love as I can? Yeah. No, you know, and I think it's important to go back a step and say, all right, we have to do that for ourselves first. Okay. You have something that you need to heal in your world, something you're choosing to change on your journey. How do we talk to ourselves about that change? Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of me is like, okay, let's take a step back and see a little bit bigger of a picture to see how did we get here? You know, what created the possibility to, for the need to change now? Mm -hmm. Like be that, whatever it is we're going to change, a healing, sometimes it's, yeah. a, it's a thought process or sometimes it's a physical ailment or it's a set of beliefs that no longer serve you. Or a career, you know, yeah. that's no longer feeding you or, yeah. Right. So like one of the things I've shared on some other episodes is like one of my beliefs is when I look at people coming into my practice with different ailments, they can kind of fall in, in you know, this isn't the truth, but it's a really important, powerful way of looking at it. They can fall into two camps. One is they stopped doing certain things that were healthy for their body and it deteriorated. And the lesson is like bringing ourselves back into alignment with things that are healthy for us. But then there's another place that I think is more over. That's what we typically tend to think of. Like I did something wrong or I haven't been eating right or like whatever. And that's why I ended up in this situation. But I also think there's another place where it's almost like we're marching along on our evolutionary journey and a disease comes up to meet us to transform us. It's like the catalyst to propel us forward into the next phase of our life. And it, it's like, I might be saying this wrong, but I would think of like, is it Lorenzo's fire or Lazarus's fire? Like, like, I don't know. There's a transformational fire story out there somewhere that like, it's like, we tend to think of diseases as we're wrong and we're broken. Although I've interviewed a lot of people who've been through cancer in particular and asked them about, you know, would they do it again? And, and there was these big responses of like, God, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, I would not be who I am today without having gone through this. So like, yeah, I would do it again. Yep. So like, I, I imagine that a lot of that resonates with your transformation and your process through this. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, at the time it was scary to be asked or presented with this opportunity to look at myself differently. Yeah. An opportunity to step forward with my, in my spiritual relationship with my body, you yeah. know, and how am I going to move forward with this? I have received unbelievable gifts because I'm HIV positive, hmm. including an invitation to be in the conversation about healing it from my body entirely. What an awesome conversation to be in in our time right now. Yeah. You know, and to actually believe it's possible. And I might even see it in my lifetime at the grand scale. Yeah. You know, whereas in the 80s, as a young person in this world, watching most of my friends at the time literally die in the AIDS crisis. And now I'm like, oh, oh, how interesting that we evolve so quickly. Yeah. So quickly. You know, but, you know, it's like sometimes I think, especially with my clients and what I do in my work, sometimes we think about we're a human having a spiritual experience. You yeah. Know? And then let's turn that upside down. Well, what about for a spirit having a human experience? <laughs> That's more what it feels like. Well, and I think we have a whole lot more power in yeah. our hand. The tools are in our hands when I think if we're thinking about it as 
I'm a spirit, I'm a spirit having, having a human, a human experience. experience. So that's why I woke up this morning and cried for an hour, because <laughs> my spirit is having a human experience. That's right. good. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, it kind of puts the power back in our own hands. And all of a sudden, we're no longer the victim, that, we, that it's so easy to fall into the role of being a victim and pass yeah. the power and get up the pointy fingers and point everywhere else except into our own heart. You know, but all of a sudden, we get to that magical place where or pointing fingers outside of ourselves only goes so far. It feels good for a minute to pass the buck. It feels good for yeah. a minute to place some blame because it might give you a breath. But does it give you more than that breath? You know, I think it's a progression too because I, I think that there is, there is an awakening for some people where they, due to childhood circumstances, lives they were born into that they didn't have any choice over where they ended yeah. up, that in the beginning – yeah there's a real power to get angry and to be like, like, cause there were places where, you know, my parents are going to listen to all of these. Love you guys. You're awesome. And being <laughs> raised by conscious Buddhist hippies that came from this world that everything was a hundred percent my responsibility. There were places where I wouldn't tell somebody to knock something off. I wouldn't tell them like, you're not allowed to treat me that way or don't do that because I was always over here going, well, what's my part in it? And I have my own role to play, but it was like not the most powerful way. So I had to go through a process where for a while, I had to give myself permission to kind of blame others, to actually recognize. But it was more like coming into my own of, of, of what is it to exert healthy boundaries. But at the moment when I first started, I didn't know that. I just had to give myself permission to blame somebody else and be like, no, that was effed up. They shouldn't have done that to me. Like, because I was spending so much time over here abdicating inside of it. And then I moved there. And then I feel like I've come all the way to the other side, not in every situation, but in many of them. But I do think that hanging out in the blame, staying in the blame won't get us there at all. But there no. are, I can see where sometimes there's a moment where that's a breakthrough to start to move through healthy boundaries. And then we can get even further along the conversation. Yeah, I really believe that. That's, it's it, uh, it, uh, an essential and necessary step on a longer right. path. Just don't stay like, on that know, step. <laughs> you know, and I think that, you yeah. know, when, I first, when we first started talking about it, I mentioned, you know, I have a difficulty with the word heal because yeah. I think that we're all okay. Part of that is our belief system, you know, like, all right, when we're focusing on healing, sometimes we're too focused on the brokenness of our mm. healing process. Mm. So we don't heal. We stay stuck because yeah. we're still focused. We're just on still that. looking at that. Right. You know, and you know, sometimes we need to change our words in our brain. We need to change the way we form sentences in our thoughts to how we talk to ourselves and others so that the focus then moves from actually what it is we're healing to who we are going to become when we're healed when we arrive at healed. You have a term for that, that language change. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, switch. Yeah, switch, switchcraft. <laughs> I love it because it's like witchcraft, but switchcrafting. It's and switchcraft, like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. we're just going to switchcraft that sentence around and you always do it in these like really fun poetic ways. Right, and that's like, exactly what I'm doing in this conversation right now. Because, yeah. you know, I really want to honor what it is to be in pain or to be suffering or to realize your need for a healing journey. And that yeah. is a place of compassion and it is tender and it is raw. And sometimes it's embarrassing and sometimes it's vulnerable and sometimes we just don't know what to do next. 
And that's all okay. That's awesome. And that's an important piece of our awareness as we look at to our own journey of healing so that we can be open enough to allow the awareness of our next steps to appear to us right here, right now, so we can make them tangible. Sometimes those are baby steps, like the next 10 minutes or maybe tomorrow or next week. Sometimes we can actually see a path into the next months or years on our healing journey as we shift yeah. and choose, actually choose who we want to become in our healing journey, be that with yeah. our physical ailments or our beliefs or just who we want to evolve into as we grow older. It's all I think you hit on something though that's so huge, and I'm probably pretty guilty of this, is like, there is a point though that, you know, can I even declare myself as 100% symptom-free? No, I have a human body. It still has reactions to things. And quite frankly, we live in a world with a lot of toxins and a lot of stresses. And, yes, we you do. know, I mean, I say I woke up raw this morning and I had red wine last night, which historically messes up my system. And so like, it literally could have been that, that just was like, <laughs> and all the wires are off, right? Right. But I have the tendency, being in the profession, to always look for what's wrong, what's bad, what's wrong, what's bad, what's wrong, what's bad, versus like there is a point whether you're 100% healed or your body is totally resolved or whatever it is where you just got to go like start living life, like like drag your freaking yes. symptoms with you, take your pain along for the ride, you know, take your <laughs> blistering skin with you and be like, yeah, okay, great. Well, I got that my body is going to keep doing this thing, but I'm not going to let it stop me mm-hmm. from living the life I want to live. And that I think that's a that's a tough one for people, especially when they've been in chronic illness for a really long time is like, like that familiarity of being in the space of chronic illness. And, and I, you know, I do put my clients on a lot of therapeutic diets and on a lot of situations where I'm like, I need you to not, you know, don't eat this, avoid that, do these things. But there is a point, like when I was in med school, we often would kick around the term that like health is equal to balance. And like your reaction to heal, that's my reaction to balance. I hate the word balance. I'm like, look, look in nature. What it, where is it ever balanced for longer than like a minuscule second? You know, and then the forest fire comes through, but that's actually a good thing. And then a flood comes through, but that's actually a good thing. And, you know, so in our lives too, I'm like, it's not about balance. It might be about the capacity to balance like in movement or dance through something, but it's not mm-hmm. about stagnation or being stuck. And so, you know, you can... I had this in my journey too, where like, as I was, you know, grew up with chronic illness, it went deeper into my body. They took my tonsils out, messed up my immune system. My digestion started to get off. There was just like a myriad of things all the way down to where mostly I was dealing with pretty severe seasonal depression and blood sugar imbalances and irritability and chronic constipation. It just like it all <laughs> gone deeper in my body. And I was 24 years old. I'm like a college kid and I have to sleep nine hours a night. I can't stay up past 1030 and my brain won't work. I had to eat like every two hours. My blood sugar would crash. Like my endocrine system was a wreck. I didn't really know it. So I started naturopathic school in the first two years. It was amazing. I worked in applied kinesiology. I worked with a very highly skilled naturopath who was doing a lot of body work with me. But everything became about don't eat that, avoid that, don't do that, don't wear that, don't wear synthetics, don't wear high heels, don't wear makeup, don't eat the, I mean, it was like my life became, as long as I closed my left eye, held my breath, stood on the left foot and always wore the perfect, you know, then I'd be healthy. And I was like, I was more trapped now inside of it. Now I didn't have the symptoms, but that was when I was like, okay, this is not health. This isn't the end point. 
And then it became now the rest of my life since then has mm-hmm. been, what is it to live my dream life? What is it to live a full and complete life? And yes, take care of this vessel called my human body yeah, along absolutely. the way. You know, that brings up, you know, a piece of the conversation that I was, I was so excited that we would get to in this conversation is overwhelm, you uh, know, because so often when we know that we are healing or we're working with others who are figuring out their own healing, overwhelm seems to be right there next to it. Yeah. Oh my God, there's all this stuff I have to learn and there's all these things I have to do and I have to make time in my already busy schedule and I have to have money to buy the things that I can't afford and I have to then, and I still have to do the laundry and clean the toilet and take out the trash. And serve and, my clients and go to where I work and take care of the kids and yeah. And that overwhelm, information overload. Yeah. Holy cow, I can't tell you how many times I feel like I got hit by that truck flattened out. And I still do. It still happens. Yeah. You know? And so what I'd like to you know, just say right here, right now in this podcast about information overwhelm is that it happens and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of information out there. But I think how do we choose the most important pieces of information that suit us where we are on our path right here, right now? Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons, ways that I do that is I think about when we make decisions about how we're going to care for our divine selves, our physical bodies, the ones we care about, what mindset are we in that would serve us best to make those decisions? Like where is the best place to be in your emotions to make hard conversations about where you really are in your path? Mm -hmm. You know, and so one of those things that comes to me is happiness. You know, right? when, we are, when we step into a place of joy and we can actually feel it, we can take a breath with joy, we can actually maybe look back and find some times in memory where we burst into laughter with some friends or we were in a meadow and the wind was blowing and the stars and the clouds were in the sky and it was peaceful and it was happy. And we can actually feel, step into joy, remember our joy. Try it on like an old favorite jacket you haven't put on in a while. You know, and the hole in the f- sleeve that your friend ripped in there and you giggle when you think about it. And the, the smell of the smoke of the campfire in the collar as you smell the jacket as you put it on. All of a sudden there's a sigh. All of a sudden there's a place of your heart that becomes tender. And all of a sudden you have a much better place to make some decisions from than a place of freak out or, or fear or tension or hurry, you know, and that becomes a tangible, doable thing as many times a day as you possibly need it. Mm. All of a sudden there's something to do to help stay focused on your healing journey. Be that I have to study my situation. I have to learn about medicines. I have to learn about how to ask for the help that I need. Yeah. I have to learn who to ask help for. I have to stand up and take responsibility for me on my path. But how do you support yourself in taking that responsibility? Yeah, I really believe that one of the key tools that's tangible with us in every moment is to take a moment and step into joy. Yeah. That helps me so much. It helps my clients so much. I see it happen 
in my performance and show business career every moment. You know, remembering to feel joy for a second all of a sudden catapults you into the future. You stop. I mean, I think it's it's so interesting. It's so valuable what you're saying. And I'm watching myself because like there were I was one of those people. I don't know when it started, but I would say there was at least 10 to 15 years of my life where I would not give myself access to joy on a regular basis. I didn't even know how much I'd locked it out. It Mm -hmm. was to me at, at minimum as a good New Yorker, joy was frivolous and not serious and, and meant like, you know, all kinds of things about who you were as a person. So, so, you know, I mean, I still like, I kind of love it going to New York city and walking around with all the people with stern looks on their faces. And like, it, it like, it reminds me of, of home. But I remember when I moved out West and people would just smile at me. And I literally was like, what is up with all these weirdos? <laughs> like, you know, it was bizarre. So like that was just cultural. And then there was other stuff that was more personal to me. I've actually recently noticed that there's been a huge shift in my life. The fact that I now live my life by, if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. That was not the case even just a few mm-hmm. years ago. My sister and I actually, cause she's like pure joy. My sister is sparkle and joy and laughter and fun and play. And all she wants to do is play. And anytime that like anything other than play is happening, she's very grumpy. And, and we would get at odds because I was over here mysterious, you know, like yeah. you got to take me seriously. I'm going to do serious things. And, and what I'm up to matters because of that seriousness. And then look how busy I am. And that makes me more important. You know, I had all of that stuff and, and was successful and, you know, going through medical school and writing my book in the first two years of being out as a doctor. And like, you know, I mean, I did the things, but I remember I had technically made it, you know, it was like five or six years out of being out of school and in my practice. And the money was there and the life was there and the, all the, like this, like I had made it. And I was sitting at breakfast with a friend in downtown Scottsville, Stale, whatever, Arizona in tears, because he said, what brings you joy? And I Mm. didn't even want to listen to the question. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, and I resented him for it and it still made my skin crawl. And like, even having to come into that conversation, I was like, Mm. Don't make me do it. You know, I literally, I remember arguments with my sister where she, you know, would, would want to just be playful. And I would like, I don't do that. So what would you say to a person like that? (laughs) Well, you know, it's, I'm laughing right now. What, you know, as you tell me this story, because, you know, just this week I reconnected with one of my mentors from a long time ago, who's always told me that I was their coach. And this is long before I stepped into being a coach. Being a coach. Yeah. And, then, and these are some pretty successful coaches in the world now. And they're hilarious and they're funny people. And they're so loving and so caring. And, and one of them, her main mission about her coaching business is to teach how to love yourself, how to step mm-hmm. into loving yourself, and, and, or, or to be in joy. How to step into joy to do it first. And when I first knew that about her, I didn't think much about it. But then we started talking this week because, you know, we're, I'm, as I'm launching my new career as a coach and, and she's like, Corey, you have to realize that this is a hard thing for a lot of people. This is, I was kind of struggling along until I found my niche market of joy. And all of a sudden I went from, you know, 500 bucks, you know, a week to maybe a couple thousand dollars a month to an $80,000 a year career just talking about joy 
Wow. I'm like, wow, I happen to be a master at that. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but all of a sudden, like, I was validated. Yeah. You know, because part of me was like, you know, who am I to be a coach? Who am I to show up and help other people? And on one token, I know that I have the skills and I've been doing it my whole life, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Decades, Boy, decades of work. Yeah. How amazing to see that there is a need in the world. Just like yourself, Sarah, you know, just, you know, like I didn't experience joy. It wasn't the New Yorker thing to do, you know? And it's kind of funny, like when I first started going to New York as a teenager, as a theater person and going to Broadway as a Western smiling kid. I know. Smiling at everyone everybody was like... on the street. And at first I was like, God, they're right. New, York's, New Yorkers are assholes. And then I was like, no. Totally. And then I was like, well, wait a second. No, they're not. Mm-mm. Everybody in New York... You know, when they're at home, they have to have their best face on because they're sharing a tiny room with three people they don't like. When they're at work, they have to have their best face on because they'll get fired if they don't. The only time New Yorkers are alone is when they're on a packed subway walking with 10,000 people. Yes, that's what we, we're actually granting oh. each other space by not yeah. looking at each other because it's like, like we, you know, it's literally like acknowledging people's private moments in public right. with a thousand people walking down right. the street. So, yeah. I had this, so I figured that out. It didn't take me very long. So then I decided I'm going to smile at people in New York all the time. And I was standing on the street somewhere. In, I was up on like 50th Street, maybe. And I was crossing the street and I looked across the street and William Defoe was standing there. Right. And I've always loved how scary he is in every role he plays. And he was looking at me and I was looking at him. And I didn't, I thought, all right, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to be a fan drooling over him. So I decided not to smile at him. And as we crossed each other in the street, he turned with a shit-eating grin, smiled at me and went, yo, sailor. Oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. I cracked up laughing. Yeah. It's like, oh, cosmic validation for sure. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I actually, I don't think I've ever told you this. I remember the very first moment I met you in the parking lot and you yep. like threw your arms out and you went to give me this and you were grinning ear to ear and laughing and you're like, welcome home sister. And I, inside my it head, was, I'm sure I, like, I in my board. head, I was like, who does this guy think he is? Right? So funny. So I know. Funny. I felt like I was hugging a tree. You were, maybe even a rock. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. So funny. Totally. I but, know. Well, look and, at us now. you know, I will share that one of the healing journeys I've been on is I called sacred plant medicine into my life and it has done mm-hmm. a ton to melt the ice princess. I actually have had coaches call me out years ago and literally were like, you're the ice princess. Like you just don't let anybody in and you're on your high tower and yes, you're accomplished, but you know, it was like all shrouded in this importance and it's still my biggest struggle to like let the guard down and get vulnerable and let people see me as I am. And every time I do, everyone always goes, that's the person we love. Like we're, we're much yep. rather be with that version, you know, not version cause it's all me. Right. But it's still hard for me on the inside mm-hmm. of my head to go there. I am, you know, a dyed in the wool type A, want to look perfect in every way if I, if I hadn't done the work that I've done. So there's been lots of deepening and lots of relaxing. And I will attribute that there was particular things I couldn't seem to get access to melting. And the mm-hmm. amount of joy, interestingly enough, confronting some of the darkest stuff in my life, going to some of the scariest places in my psyche over this last year of work, 
I have just naturally witnessed the amount of joy and laughter has gone up like tenfold. Absolutely. And I had no idea that was going to happen. None it's at all. It's an amazing byproduct of that work. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I really think, you know, when we're not experiencing joy, especially with a, you know, a daunting path presented to us that we have to walk down all of a sudden a healing journey. Yeah. You know, is to, as we remember joy, you know, and what it really feels like to put on that, that sacred jacket of joy, that mm-hmm. favorite, favorite cozy place is that it comes easier every time. You know, and I'm going to say it again, you know, when we experience our joy, we think better, we, we make better decisions, we process harder information faster with ease and grace Yeah. when we experience our joy. Mm-hmm. When we are not experiencing our joy for too large of chunks of time, a whole different thing begins to happen. Yeah. Daunting, dark clouds, you know, cynicism and pessimism start taking over every breath. And then that begins a completely different ripple. Yeah. You know, as we manifest what we think about, you know, you know, I really believe that's true. We manifest what we think about. Whatever is in our brain appears in front of us. You know, and I think about the power of like neuroscience and neurolinguistics and how we have the ability to create new pathways in our brain to make new connections within our synapses and to make ourselves think and believe thoughts that we never could before. First of all, believing that that's possible is an amazing place to start, even if you haven't experienced it yourself. Even though you're doing it every minute, you may not think you are, but we are. And actually to make a choice about, okay, well, this is where I'm at right now and it may not be good and it may not be, I might not like it and I might be very uncomfortable, but who do I want to be? Here's how I feel, but how do I want to feel? Mm -hmm. You know? You know, and so the power of dreaming, this is one of the things after being shot down by my career and being shot down by fearful leaders in a world of creativity who are clipping my wings because I was too big. I was too powerful. So they'd shoot me down and then I'd be frightened to move forward, right? As I step into the belief that it doesn't have to be this way, I forgot to dream. They stopped my dreaming from outside of right now. Mm-hmm. I had to relearn how to dream. How do, I, how do I see myself in my future, right? An old dream came true and I didn't dream past that dream coming true. That, that's, I think, common too. Like I've, I've, you know, I'll just keep speaking from my own experience, but this like continued conversation of like what it is to make it and, and then to reach the fulfillment of a dream. Mm-hmm. And then there was this like, somewhat shocking depression emptiness thing that happened afterwards. And it's just been recent. Quite frankly, this podcast has had a lot to do with rekindling some unfulfilled dreams and also just allowing new ones in again. Now, like I'm seeing new possibilities for my future that people had even said to me. And I was like, yeah, no, mm -mm." about, you know, getting back on stages and speaking again and doing you know, workshops and things like that, that have always been in the background, but I haven't been like willing to really go after them for whatever reason, but it was in the fulfillment of my private practice. When I really saw 
okay, I've made it as a doctor and, and the steadiness and the reproducibility in that business. But then there was this like odd depression that came immediately following in like this blank space that I feel like yes. I'm just now coming out of. Well, I relate to that totally, you know, cause I was what, you know, 15 years old and in love with show business. You know, I was raised by a single mom, you know, kind of in a struggle situation. And I just knew the only way I wasn't going to live that life. I had to do something else. I had to bust out of my family's normal. I love them. Nothing wrong with that story. Yeah. But, I, yeah. but as, a, as a young, you know, theater-minded, gay, you know, 1980s boy trying to see myself in the world, I fell in love with show business. And no one could tell me no. So here I am 30 years later, and I'm still doing that life. I'm still living a professional showbiz life. I'm touring the world with the big ballet company and doing my thing. However, that dream back then was so big and unattainable. And everybody told me, you better have another career. Showbiz, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to be able to do it. You better have another plan. Well, I didn't have another plan. That was the only plan. And I <laughs> no one dared. I never, no, no one could tell me no. Yeah. And it got me far. And I remember when we were performing at the Queen's Theater in Edinburgh, right? And it was like this moment when I went to, like, to the epicenter of the EIF, the, the main office where all the reviews get put up. And if your company gets a five-star review, your company gets invited to eat dinner you know, in the, in the Edinburgh Castle, right? Wow. And so I went down there and I saw we got the five-star review and we're getting all these accolades and all of a sudden it hit me that my dream had come true. Mm. And I stood there all alone on the cobblestone streets outside the castle, bawling my eyes out. And so I sat down and had a cheese plate and a beer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. I was by myself, but it's like, well, totally. I better get out my journal and I wrote some stuff down. Yeah. And then I didn't dream past that moment. I was just inside of it and I stayed there for a while. Now that was probably 10 That's years profound ago. too. Wow, 10 years ago. Right. And then things started falling apart for me. Hmm. I got sick. I, I, had, I was no longer chasing a dream. I was just living inside of this, this inertia I had created. And all of a sudden my passion for it was falling away. All of a sudden I wasn't doing and designing theater shows anymore. I wasn't touring stuff. I wasn't creating anymore. I was just living inside of corporate unionism and business of the big art. Oh, it was a soul sucker. And I got sick. That's when I got HIV. That's when I got sick. And all of a sudden I got a chance to wake up. Mm. And it was hard. In fact, the day I found out I was HIV positive was the day I got a scholarship to go back to school. It's like, oh, hello, universe. Let's start looking at how do I support myself in a new way? Yeah. Now, and that way, here I am all these years later, and I'm finally figuring out some of those pieces of the puzzle to actually have a career away from show business. It's wow. taken some time. Yeah. You know, but, but here it is. And has it been difficult? Oh, yeah. Has it been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to look at myself and clean up my own mess? Absolutely. Was it worth it? Totally. Am I still on mess at a lot of things? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like me too, Sarah, like finding plant medicine has allowed me to step into a, a laser beam focus about who I am and what gifts I have to give. Yeah. And how do I give them? Yeah. Like, how can I show up 
and be in service to something greater than me. Now, okay, now here's the crux of, I think, my own healing journey. Here it is. I can work on just myself all damn day, work on my own healing just by myself, my own stuff, my own selfish needs and desires and personal ailments all day long. And in doing so, I've only been able to get so far. But all of a sudden, I take my focus outside of myself and realize that I have a gift to give. There's people out there who have a need for what I have to give. You know, as I step into service, as I step into that gift giving, that creature comfort mama bear energy that I am so good at, right? All of a sudden, my own healing has become a hundred yeah. times bigger. Through the roof. And yeah. I'm no longer focused on just my own healing because as I focus on something so much bigger than myself, my own healing just gets swept up in the inertia and it's way better than way better. Done it by yeah. myself. Yeah. Way better. I, that's been that's been one of my tactics for a long time, you know. And my clients push me because then they present me with circumstances. I mean, I had a conversation just yesterday with someone I've worked with her for six years. And I went, I'm gonna have to do some work to grow where I need to grow to take her where she wants to go next. Yes. I mean, it was literally like Oh, I love oh, that. wow, this is pushing okay, God, you know, like and I mm-hmm. came right up against it. And so like it's yeah, and and I think that it's both because, you know, that's a whole nother conversation that we have kind of a messed up world around in our culture is that service is about selflessness. Service is about self-sacrifice for others. Mm. And that's not, I know that's not what you're talking about. That's definitely not it's what not. I'm talking about. And one of my great Buddhist teachers, Anam Tupton, who I've sat in meditation with a lot, he talks about the mandala of the sacred mandala of life and you put yourself at the center yes and you do start there and the idea is to bring the peace bring the gratitude bring the awareness right there to you and then the game or the challenge or however you want to put it is to see how big can you make your circle mm-hmm. but you're always in the middle and that was a that was a frame shift for me because i absolutely had been doing a I lot of service that. at that point and it was starting to become i was getting depleted as I was serving others and it became, you know, that was one of the times my back went out and you know, my, my, my low back is like my barometer and I have a couple discs down there that they get all inflamed and bulgy and push and they literally make me go to bed, which I find very interesting that that's the symptom is like, you, you have to stop moving in life and sit still and think about, think about what you've done. Well, I love that when we talk about putting yourself in the center of the circle, when you become the axle of your wheelhouse, right? You're no longer hanging out on the rim. You're actually axle of your own wheelhouse. And what that does is that it allows you to take more and more responsibility for your own experience. Mm -hmm. We're often taught to blame and to point outside of ourselves, but if we manifest what we think about, and we do, when you put yourself in that hot seat, that allows you this amazing opportunity to take 100% responsibility for the life you're living. Yeah. Why are we, how come we don't have these tools when we're six, right? How come we're not taught how to think about the world 
as children when we are still invincible and you know <laughs> yeah now i will say and I, ha I just have to put this in is like there are some places that do that like yeah, the are. transformational work that i've been involved in is a company called landmark and yep. they have their earliest program starts at eight and i actually have friends who are my age who did the landmark forum when they were eight years old and they were given these conversations of authenticity, self-responsibility, vulnerability, separating the mm. story from what actually happened. And it's the coolest thing to watch what yes. kids do with it. Also, the Landmark Forum normally is from 10 a.m. until like 11 p.m. at night or, or something like that. With kids, it goes from like 8 in the morning or 10 in the morning until 4. And they're always like, yeah, because they get it faster. They don't like uh. resist all the teachings <laughs> the way that the adults do. The kids are like... Oh yeah, I've been totally manipulating my parents. I manipulate my parents all the time. They have no problem. They're just like uh -huh. they're offering up their stuff, you know. So, yep. but but to your point, it's definitely not part of our our full blown education, you know, everywhere. And what a gift it would be to empower our children with that and what that creates is possible oh, for yeah. people to, you know. And to some mm -hmm. degree, I was raised somewhat in that. I mean, my parents were actually involved in transformational education, and my mom's been studying Buddhism since before I was mm -hmm. born, and. I've come to find out that my grandmother did the original S training in 1975. So I'm actually third generation in some of that. So I didn't do the programs myself personally, but I was raised by people who had mm -hmm. been in those kinds of conversations and I can yeah. see it. I can see where it made a difference in my upbringing and the oh, things that I operated yeah. from. Yeah. Your mom was one of those cutting edge oh, hippies out I mean, there, my, you know, I mean, my, my, yeah. Grand, I remember like, and to this day, she has to have her cassette recorders because she still has all of the cassette tapes of Marilyn Manson oh and everybody yes. else. You know? <laughs> totally, yeah. And you know, when I go back and I hear them now, because I I was raised with them with her. Yeah. You know, it just takes me right back to that place. Yeah. So yeah. much of the of that early training with my mom made me who I am today. Thank you, mom. You know. Totally. Thank you yeah. Thanks, that. mom, dad. <laughs> thanks, grandma. Yep. So, absolutely. You know, there's been, we've talked about so many powerful things here. And I also want to make sure we leave people with some concrete, like, like yeah. if somebody listened to this and they're going, yeah, thanks. Great, Corey. What do I do now? Like, how do I access my joy? What's, what are some either tools, tips, pieces of advice? Where would you send people to start? Well, first of all, I think sit with yourself and do it and, and to love yourself in a sacred conversation. Maybe it's outside of your normal house. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to go to the park or to the mountain or to the river and to, to be with yourself, knowing that you're starting a new way to talk to yourself mm -hmm. to maybe let a voice inside your own heart be stronger and louder than it ever has been before. Sometimes our brain and our ego voice is so loud that our own heart voice rarely has a chance to take the seat. And I think one of the first steps is to tune into what is your heart saying versus what is your head saying, right? And to give that heart speak time and respect and power. I think our answers are from within ourselves. Mm. And I think starting at that place, then looking for the help that you're going to need, the guidance or the mentorship or the prescription, whatever it might be, you can ask for it from a place of calm 
as opposed to a place of panic and freak out. Like once I, like we talked about earlier, step into your joy, even if you can't quite make it to joy. What about calm? Can you at least get to a place of calm? Baby step. Yeah, some so 10 can, slow deep so that, breaths. Yeah, yeah. So that we can actually form a sentence that's closer to our divine truth mm-hmm. as opposed to a reaction that yeah. may get us there eventually, you know? But how do we take that pause? And then as we act, who are our confidants in the world? Who are our mentors? Who are the ones that we can go to and say, hey, I've got a, something I need to work out and I may not have it worked out. Can I bend your ear? Is yeah. it your best friend? Is it a family? Is it a therapist or a coach? All of those different people have a different service to give. But how do we step into our path about getting the assistance that we need? Sometimes you can do it by deep meditation and get it just alone. But if you're like me, boy, arriving at silence in meditation is almost impossible. (laughs) Not how I do it. I love the idea of it. And I've experienced through plant medicine, I've been able to do it more and more. Yeah. But but when I'm freaking, oh, that's the last mm-hmm. thing that I can do. <laughs> For me, a, a big tool is is journaling. And a lot of people are like, I don't even know what to write. I don't know how to journal. And I, I got this gift from Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the oh, Conversations yeah. with God books, where he was so frustrated in his life, he sat down with a yellow legal pad and wrote a letter to God. Yep. And then in his story, he said, and then the pen kept moving. And it said, do you really want answers to all these questions? Or are you just venting? Mm-hmm. And then this dialogue ensued on this piece of paper with his hand writing both sides of the dialogue. And that practice I've taken on where I ask myself questions or somebody asks me questions and I write answers and, and I create it in such a way that there's a dialogue. And that makes a difference for me to kind of get my thoughts organized or to get into those deeper intuitive places to listen from when I can't just sit in meditation and like, mm-hmm. otherwise my brain just spins and spins and spins. Oh, me too. You me know? Too. And then another one that is new for me is actually to stop thinking, stop trying to figure, cause I'm a big time analytical figure or outer. So I'm like, Ooh, okay. Okay. Corey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out how to fix this. I'm going to totally sit down in a quiet place and meditatively fix it, which mm-hmm. isn't exactly the point. So for me, it's been like, challenging myself to look for little bits of joy. And some of it went to remembering what that looked like as a kid. Like Mm -hmm. I never really loved just a blank piece of paper and drawing, but I love to color. I love colors. I love working. I like it. I'm one of those people that gets kooky about colored pencils and markers. And like, I love it. I love coloring. And I actually have a friend of mine who has a PhD in transformational work and coaching. And she has all these really cool things to say about the science of what coloring does in our brain and that it's actually really similar if not the same as what meditation can do. So even if we can't necessarily go to that place, I have some really fun graphical adult level coloring books and you can use any coloring book you want and like really beautiful sets of markers. And that will sometimes make the shift for me. And I will tell you the businesswoman inside of me, she has a hard time to sit down and just do something as frivolous as coloring, but it is so nurturing. Well, you know, in my world, because, you know, I, I have an old, an 1889 Queen Anne Victorian house with a turret, and I'm sitting in the round room upstairs right now. I was hoping we were doing this from the round room. Yes. And, you know, and so I, over these last couple of years, I hand mixed my own royal blue chalkboard paint and all the way around the entire room. And so this coloring, I've got bowls of colored chalk. And this is one thing I do with myself. In fact, 
you know, behind me is, is erased, right, this second, but the rest of it is full from where I, the personal work I'm doing myself these last week or two, right? And I just explode it on the walls outside myself. And, you know, sometimes I do it and I also, on the floor. You should see there's big pieces of paper and there's markers and there's color and there's, Yay. you know, there's like 10 different notebooks on the floor all around me. And what that does for me, you know, is that the swirling thoughts that are swimming in my brain that are overwhelming, and then there's another one and another one and another one. And they're all in that big pool swimming together. Yeah. It's really hard when they're in there together to pull one out and explore it and figure out what is it asking me to do? What is the gift therein for me to discover? Why is this becoming a pain that needs healing and attention? How come I can't give it the attention it needs? Because it's swimming with all those other things. So all of a sudden, I'll pull it out and give it a place outside of my brain in front of me. And I just explode. And it's messy. And it's dirty. And it's not even spelled right. And it scribbles. And that's important. Because then all of a sudden, when it's outside and you're looking at it, you have this amazing ability to correct it. To wait, well, you know, that was, my that was a reaction because I was angry. But I can erase the anger out of my story and realize that, okay, now the story evolved into a need that was neglected. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's all right. So now I can feed the need that was neglected and give it some cosmic nutrition. And all of a sudden that shifted because I was able to pull it out of myself and look at it. People can do that with meditation sitting on a hill. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I do with crayons and chalk and I have to get it yeah. outside myself. I need <laughs> then, something physical to interact yeah. with. Totally. And yeah. In the chalkboard world, there's this amazing piece of the puzzle where when you're done, you get to erase it. Erase it, yeah. <laughs> yep. like, oh, and we're yep. done with that, you know. I moved into a studio apartment when I first came back to Utah. It was at the base of the mountains. I could see the, the tram and the chairlifts from my, like, balcony window. It was heaven for me. And there was this giant, like, four-foot by six-foot whiteboard that was in there, and the landlord was like, oh, we're so sorry. We're going to get that out of there. I was like, no, that's <laughs> perfect. And, like... I would, you know, about once every two months, I just would brain dump it all and put yeah. it all out there. And like, sometimes it'd be messy. Sometimes I'm a little bit more like a boxes and squares and organizational, but it made a huge difference to actually mm -hmm. lay it all out. And, and then I could actually look at certain things and be like, I'm not going to do anything about that. And then yeah. I could also look at other things and be like, oh yeah, I said I was going to work on mm -hmm. that. Like, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves too that we're supposed to remember everything. And there's, again, a ton of research in science that talks about how there's only a certain number of items we can even keep in our brain. And there's Absolutely. even some research that says you only have a certain allotted number of decisions a day, which yep. is like, I think why Zuckerberg and some of those guys all talk about how they just wear the same thing every single day because they're not going to waste their decision-making power on what they're going to wear. <laughs> and like, like there's these routines that they create, you know, of like yep. jeans, flannel, jeans, flannel, jeans, flannel. It's just because then they don't have, and I actually have kind of adopted this. I wear the same thing two days in a row all the time. Mm -hmm. That's 50% less decisions Yep. right there, you know, Absolutely. But, but having the capacity to like, even just have a structure to put this all out on, but then also the keeping it in existence, keeping mm -hmm. those dreams alive in that way. And I'm a pretty electronic girl and I, I have a lot of things that I, I use Evernote. I use different online notebooks and stuff, but I, even that though, like 
becomes a little bit of a trap. There's something very particular about physically writing, having a physical structure. And for me, having it be yeah. big enough, even a I journal, agree. journals are great and things get lost in there. Like versus, you know, actually, I mean, this is a podcast, yeah. but I got a big cork board over here that I've been continually working on. How am I going to use this cork board to have that same kind of experience? Right. So I highly recommend any of those people. Well, one thing I've the been, next level. I love my favorite way to work with, when a client comes to see me, especially when we're just saying hello, like what journey are we going to create? Like we, I call it the round room experience, you know, you know, and I think Sarah, you've had a peek at this, you know, I still haven't done it though. I think we're due. We sit in a room that's chalkboard all the way around and all of a sudden we're going to figure out where you are. We're going to figure out why it hurts. We're going to figure out where you want to go and what that feels like when you get there. And then because it's in the chalkboard room and we're surrounded by it, then this cosmic bridge building starts to happen. Yeah. And then the, the ability to take out your cosmic trash when you can remove the things that no longer serve you. And sometimes that's hard because we're addicted to those things and, we, and we're proud that we created those things, but they don't serve us anymore. You know? And now they're in the way and they're becoming pains and they're becoming disease and they're becoming too big for us to handle. Yeah. You know, and in order sometimes for a new dream to occur, we have to take out the old one, you know, and make actually make room for the yeah. new dream. Just like when we plant a garden, we, you know, we take down last year's dead crops and we turn the soil and make room for that new seedling to have a home. It's kind of the same. It's kind yeah. of the same. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Good. There's like a thousand more things I want to talk to you about. And we've, yep. we've filled a pretty serious cup here today. Yes, we have. Uh, I just, God, the, you bring such a creative and soulful and spiritual. I mean, it's like whenever I have any conversation with you, it just reconnects me back to the, the divine. Like, I don't mean to be all schmoo about it, but like, that's what I get whenever I have my Corey time. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that here today. Well, thank you for validating that in me because, you know, the more I do this work, the more I realize that's the gift I have to give. Yeah. And I would do it so willingly, you know, because in serving you, I serve myself. Absolutely. Well, let's keep awesome. up this good conversation, Sarah. Let's do this again and again. Yeah. As you say, more time with you, please. More time with you, please. <laughs> awesome. Well, and we all look forward to updates on your coaching practice and what you're creating and making yourself available and, you know, your decades of knowledge and wisdom that you've accumulated is invaluable for people. So thanks for being willing to start to take those steps. Well, thanks for being one of those people who helped me push the go button. You betcha. The button, the button has been pushed. I know it has. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. Great. Right on. Right on, Make love. Make sure that all the links and things are in our show notes for people to get in touch with you. And Oh, that'd be great. So appreciate Please. you. Please. I'm right here ready for that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. I love you, all right. Sarah. Love you too. Until next time. Cheers. Bye. Thanks to today's guest, Corey Three-Wing Thorell, for his courageous stand for our joy and greatness. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. You can learn more about finding your own healing by going to sarahmarshallnd.com or following me on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. Thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our incredible, badass, amazing editor, Kendra Vicken. We'll see you next time. <laughs>